0: Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. Our mission is to make disciples who are radically devoted to Christ, having both a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. It is Labor Day weekend. Woohoo! Three-day weekend. How many of you are excited about that? Three-day weekend. 78% of Americans have off tomorrow. Isn't it nice to have a long weekend? I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never had one of those. (laughs) Uh, But I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. Contrary to popular opinion, though, those in ministry don't just work one day a week. Okay, I just want to get that out there. Um, But it is Labor Day weekend, and it is a great reminder to think about work. And, And what do you mean about work? Well, I want you to understand that work really is a blessing from God. That work is wonderful. That work is important mentally. It is important physically. It is important emotionally. It is important financially. That work is a gift from God to you and me. And, and so much so that work was given to man before sin entered the world. Adam was placed in the garden to work it before the fall of man. We see this in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate, that's work, and to keep it, that's work. But work doesn't always seem to work. Work can be frustrated, and there's things about work we don't like, and there's things about work that we don't understand, which forces us to ask some questions. How can I make the most out of my job? How can I make the most out of work when I go back to work? What can I practically do to enjoy work? Or how can I make work work? And I've titled this message, For the Love of Labor, How to Make Work Work. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. It is intensely deep and introspective, but yet so incredibly practical. For giving us wisdom in this life. It is written by the wisest man to ever live, King Solomon. And oftentimes I think this if we spend more time with the wisest people we know, we will be so much more wiser. If we spend more time with King Solomon, more time in Ecclesiastes, more time in the Proverbs, we will be so much more wiser. In this, life. this is a man, the wisest man to ever live, and he observed life and he watched life and he learned lessons about life and living and he comes to these important conclusions and he passes this wisdom on to you and he passes it on to me. And under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he teaches us and he trains us and he helps us do life better. And I want to learn how to do life better. And I know you want to learn how to do life better. And one of the aspects of life is work. And and how do we do work better? Now, I want you to understand this message is for everyone. Whether you work in the city or you work from home, whether you work with others or you work for yourself, no matter what kind of work you do, Um, If you're a stay-at-home mom, if if you're retired, you're unable to work, there are so many applications here for every single one of us. And we're going to look at two different passages this morning. The first one is a little bit more well-known. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes. And and follow along as I read starting in verse 9 of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. 2. Are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. So, for the love of labor. Number one, find a partner. Find a partner. Utilize this power in partnership, and by all means, try not to work alone. Find somebody that you can work with. And I want you to see all the things that partnership means. Partnership means more productivity and more profit. Verse 9, two are better than one. You can do more. You can accomplish more. You can do more more quickly. And there's this good return for their labor. You double your production when you have a good partner. Many hands make what? Light work. Okay? So a partner can bring a different skill level, different talents, a uh, different expertise, and, and you can complement one another. Uh, there's a lot of well-known partnerships in the history of this nation. A man named William Proctor, who was a candle maker, and James Gamble was a soap maker. In 1837, they formed Proctor and Gamble. Candles, soaps, now pet foods, cleaning agents, personal care, it goes on and on. Horace Smith and his partner, Daniel B. Wesson, gun manufacturers. Who were they? Smith and Wesson. Robert Wood Johnson and James Wood Johnson and Edward Mead Johnson formed a partnership in 1885. Guess what that was called? Johnson and Johnson. It should have been Johnson, Johnson and Johnson, but it was just Johnson and Johnson. Um, Bill Hewlett and David Packard flipped a coin to decide whose name would be first in their company. Guess who won? Wrong. Packard won, and he chose to put his partner's name first. Oh. <laughs> Hewlett and Packard. Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield. Guess what they founded? Praise God, Ben and Jerry's ice cream. That's right. <laughs> so, so partnership, there's more productivity and there's more profit. Partnership also means more help when the times get tough. Verse 10. If either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Work can be really hard at times. It can take a toll on us. It can knock us down. It's better to have a partner when there's problems. It is better to have a partner when there are problems. Hey, football season's here. Who's rooting for the Bears? Okay, three of you. <laughs> Who's rooting for the Packers? Move to Wisconsin. <laughs> football season, you know, you see these guys, and they grab the ball, and they run, and they get hammered, and they get hit hard, and they go down to the ground. And you know, one of the things I love is when their teammates come over, give them a hand, and lift them right up. They have a partner. They have a teammate. They have someone that reaches out and gives them a hand. That's what a partnership is. The ability to reach out to somebody when they've been hit, or when you've been hit, they reach out to you, and they pick you back up. Partnership, more productivity, profit, help in difficulty. Partnership means more comfort. Look at verse 11. If two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Think of marriage partnership. How many married people among us here this morning? Okay. Now, what's the great part about this is when I have cold feet, I can put them on the warm legs of my wife. And she loves that. Okay. She, oh, she just loves it. She's not here this weekend. She's in church, But she loves it, I'm sure. No, no problem. Okay. Partnership means cover. Partnership means more protection from the enemy. Look at verse 12. If one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. See, when we are alone, we are more vulnerable. We're susceptible. We're at greater risk in greater danger. When we have a partner, there's protection. This is why, you know, we're told you never swim alone. Can't tell you how many times I've told my youngest son that because he has seizures from time to time. Don't you dare go in a pool alone. Don't you dare go in that lake alone. Don't you dare. Partnerships add strength and security. Uh, It says two can resist him. So there's strength in numbers, all right? And, and, And we put up a better fight when we're together. And we defend ourselves more easily. Or as Benjamin Franklin said to his buddies, we must all hang together or most assuredly, we shall hang separately. So find some people you can hang together with because there are strength in numbers. That's how you make work work. For the love of labor, find a partner. Now I want you to go to the second passage. It's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And this is where we will spend the rest of our time. This passage is not as well known, but there are some wonderful lessons that we learn. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Very interesting words. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune might occur may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind, and how bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and do not be idle in the evening. For you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed, or whether both of them alike will be good. For the love of labor, not only find a partner, but take a risk. Take a risk. Be bold. Get out of your comfort zone. Try something new. Verse 1 says, cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. It can be paraphrased, send out your grain in ships. Send it out. See, the ships that were sent out by merchants to engage in business would be gone for months at a time, but those businessmen sent out their ships. Solomon had ships at sea. First Kings 10, for the king had, a sh- uh, had at sea the ships of Tarshish and the ship, uh, ships of Hiram. He, he's saying this, send out your ships, invest with confidence, take some risks, and surprising results will take place. Some of you need to hear this because you are not risk takers, and it's about time you step out of your comfort zone. Take some risks, and surprising results will take place. See, the most prosperous businessmen are risk takers. They're not successful because they got lucky. They went out on a limb. They took a chance, and they were rewarded richly for it. There's plenty of risk avoiders Can I tell you the only thing we need to avoid are regrets? And one of the ways you avoid regrets is by taking risks. I have a daughter, love her dearly, really never wanted to learn how to ride a bike. Never wanted to learn how to swim. Now she loves to ride her bike, goes on bike rides with me when I run, we ride together. She, she, She has no regrets that she's learned to ride a bike. She has no regrets that she's finally jumped in that pool. She has no regrets that her dad said, you're going to do this. (laughs) And and for some of you here today, you need a little incentive from God. You need to do this. You need to listen up. It's time to get out of your comfort zone. It's time to take a chance. It's time to take uh, some risk. And, And sometimes this is how we need to live. We just need to take a running leap and go for it. That's what we need to do. And three weeks ago, I was in the Grand Teton National Park, and I had a blast. Just running, jumping off this cliff, getting back up, doing it again, jumping out, just going out. By the way, that big V back there, that's uh, known as Death Valley, (laughs) just to let you know. There's the thrill of adventure. Just go for it. Just live life. And amazing things happen. So amazing that eagles will swoop down under you and lift (laughs) you up. Thanks to Pastor Bill and his Photoshop ability, that is. Take a risk, but then give it time. Verse one says, Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Remember those merchants with their ships? They're waiting months and months for their return. They don't have a cell phone, they can't text the captain of the boat. They're not emailing. There's no GPS. You know, there's no find a friend or find a boat. The merchants had to wait. They sent their ships out and then they had to exercise patience and faith. And their patience and their faith would be rewarded. How so? Well, remember Solomon with his ships? Let's see. Here's the rest of that passage. First Kings 10, 22 and 3. For the king had at sea the ships of Tarshish and the ships of Hiram. Once every three years, the ships of Tarshish came bringing gold and silver, ivory and apes and peacocks. So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. Solomon was a man who took risks. Solomon was richly rewarded for taking risks. Solomon lived out the benefits of putting his ships at sea and trusting in a return. You got to leave the safety of the harbor. You got to go out on the open sea. And for some of you, it's time to pick up the anchor and take a chance and take a risk and be bold when it comes to business. Send it out. Trust in a return. A bold investment gives promise of some return. No investment guarantees no return. No investment guarantees no return. And I want you to understand, risk is rewarded. We see here that risk is rewarded financially. Same principle is true of giving. God blesses. Risk is rewarded relationally. What do you mean, Pastor? Ask her out! What are you waiting for? Risk is rewarded! Okay? Relationally, but she might say no. Yeah, she might! That's her dumb fault, okay? But you learn lessons through it. Risk is rewarded financially. Risk is rewarded relationally. Risk is rewarded spiritually. Share the Gospel with that person. They can't come to faith if you're not sharing Christ with them. Share the Lord with people. Take a risk spiritually. Talk to your neighbor, talk to your coworker, talk to your classmate, talk to your, your teammate. Risk is rewarded. My, my friend Bob took a, took a risk with me. He invited me to church one day, and I cursed him out. I did. I told him what an idiot he was. I'm not going to church. And then Bob took another risk with me. He invited me to a Bible study. I cursed him out again. I was a really nice kid. You would have loved me. But he was persistent. Some of you give up so easy on your coworkers and your friends and your classmates. Stay at it. Risk. Risk your relationship because you care for that person. Risk is rewarded spiritually. Sign up and start using your spiritual gift. Uh, try out teaching, try out visitation, try out serving somewhere. Take the chance. Risk is rewarded, listen, eternally. Trust Jesus as your Savior and you will be rewarded. You will never be disappointed. Take the risk. Call out to God and ask him to save you. Ask him to forgive you. Your life will never be the same. Come to know his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy. Risk is rewarded. Place your faith in him. The scene from the movie, The Dead Poet Society, teacher John Keating to his students We are food for worms, lads. Because believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing, turn cold, and die. Every single one of us in this room is going to stop breathing, turn cold, and die. And then he ended with these words. Carpe diem. Seize the day, boys. Make life extraordinary. Some of you need to start seizing the day. And take a risk. That's, that's how you make work work. For the love of labor, find a partner, take a risk. Here's the third one. Diversify. Say that with me. Diversify. Look at verse two. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight. For you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. So here he goes. He's going to bring up, he's going to bring up diversification. He's going to say, manage risk. You need to manage risk. Yes, take risk, but he's not talking about foolish, mindless, emotional, spur of the moment risk. He's not talking about a, a gamble risk. He's talking about a calculated, thoughtful, careful risk. Diversify. Remember those ships? He says here, divide your portion to seven or even to eight. In other words, divide up your cargo and send it out on seven or eight ships. That way, if one of the boats sinks, you don't lose everything. Diversify your investments. In other words, don't put all your eggs where? In one basket. Because one fall and you'll lose them all. He's talking about asset allocation. Allocating your investments in different funds. Having a diversified portfolio. It's present day mutual funds. Is what he's talking about. Stocks from a variety of different industries. So he's saying. I want you to manage your risk. Listen. And minimize the disaster. That's what he says next in verse 2. For you do not know. What misfortune may occur on the earth. So manage your risk. And minimize disaster. You don't know. You don't know. Different ships will keep you afloat. You don't, you don't know. One ship may hit a reef. One ship may be caught in a storm. Another may be attacked by pirates. It's a good thing you got your cargo in more than one ship. Not everybody does. And for some of you here today, your boat's going to sink. And you're going to lose everything because you haven't been dividing it up. You haven't been wise but foolish. And you better get on top of this as soon as possible. Says who? Says God's word. Learn to diversify. Spread it out. When misfortune hits one or two areas, you can survive. Some don't. They lose everything. Don't be one of them. He he says, you don't know. You don't know what misfortune may occur. You don't know. You don't know when the economy is going to tank. You don't know when, when what natural disaster is about to happen this coming year. You don't know how the stock market's going to react to maybe overseas instability. You don't know what the next election is going to happen and how it's going to change your business. You don't know what business is going to put you out of business that's going to come, come into business. Uh, can you say Amazon killing off department stores? <laughs> People lose their shirts because they don't diversify. You can lose more than your shirt. Here's an article in March of this past year. Australian journalist Derek Rose, not the basketball player, he started buying Bitcoin in 2013. In May of 2017, he decided to cash out his entire entire retirement account, put it all in cryptocurrency. By mid-December, his account was worth $7 million. $7 million. And then mid-December, it crashed. And he lost everything. He says, my first moves were smart, involving patience, careful research. But rather than taking the profits and say, buy a house. Rather than taking the profits and diversify. I bought more and more and more Bitcoin. For the love of labor. Diversify. Make work work. Find a partner. Take a risk. Diversify. Here's the next one. Relax. Say that to the person next to you really soft and sweet. Relax. Say it again. They need to hear it. Relax. Because some of them are really, really uptight. Okay? Listen carefully. Relax. You can't predict the future. Relax. You don't have a crystal ball. There are things completely outside of your control and my control, so don't sweat the stuff you can't control. Look at verse 3. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. And you may say, no, duh. And whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. Yeah, what is this all about? Well, he's using two illustrations from nature. And he's reminding us that we can't predict nature. And he says, so first, let's consider the clouds. Clouds are constantly moving around. They're changing. They're on their own timetable. And and they operate without your input. Or without my input. I mean, the farmer hopes and prays that that cloud with the precious water is going to come his way and, and fall on his land. But there's no guarantee. You can't predict The rainfall. Oh, but we try. We try. We have radar and we have satellite systems and we have very reliable weathermen and weatherwomen. One statistician has done the research. He calculated that the local TV weatherman predicts more rain 90% of the time than it actually occurs. They predict more rain 90% of the time than actually occurs. It actually rains 66% of the time when the forecast is 100% chance of rain. You know what that says? They are wrong one-third of the time. They are wrong one-third of the time. Speaking of work, who else messes up their job one-third of the time and keeps their job? The weatherman, that's who. He says, clouds are unpredictable, relax. And then he says, trees are unpredictable, relax. I was doing some trail running in the Big Rock Forest Preserve yesterday. Man, there were trees down all over the place, across the trails, and jumping over this tree, jumping over that tree, and trees all over. And he says this, you can't predict when a tree will fall. You can't predict the direction a tree will fall. You can't predict if a tree will fall. You think you see this big, old, rotten tree that's been dead for 20 years, and you know it's coming down. And it's up another 20 years. And then you see this big, mighty oak that looks so healthy. Next door, it's fallen down. You cannot predict when a tree is gonna fall, so relax. You can't predict the, the direction it's gonna fall. So relax. These trees do what they're gonna do, okay? And much of life is unpredictable. So relax and just do your work. For the love of labor, relax. For the love of labor, next. Stop watching and start working. Stop watching and start working. Verse four, he uses the illustration of an overly cautious farmer. He who watches the wind will not sow, he who looks at the clouds will not reap. There's a bunch of wind watchers in this world. This farmer is a wind watcher and he won't plant. And Solomon has already cautioned people about chasing the wind. Now he cautions them about watching the wind. Why is he so worried about the wind? Because the wind will blow away the seed. And the wind will ruin his work. But he's not getting any work done because all he's doing is watching the wind. And then you have a cloud watcher. And they won't harvest. He's worrying not about the rain coming to to water his crops... But not enabling him to reap his crops and harvest his crops. And he, it's stopping him from working and ruining his crop. And, 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 and so he's concerned. You got people watching the wind and, and watching the crops and or watching the clouds for rain. And I, I have friends like this. I, I have a friend I run with who refuses to run in the rain. I mean, this is basically him. I was going to run today, but it looks like it might rain. So I better sit this one out. <laughs> I mean, he'll text the weather, 100% chance of rain. Now we know it's what? 66. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So anyway, don't be a wind watcher. Don't be a cloud watcher. Now we've got some really good lessons to learn from this passage. Here's the first one. Work doesn't require perfect conditions. Get to work. You don't have to have perfect conditions to work. Verse four, he who watches the wind, he's got to have it just perfect. He who watches the clouds, he's got to have it just perfect. He's never going to get his crop in if the conditions have to be perfect. He's never going to get his crop out if the conditions have to be perfect. There are too many people who want perfect conditions at work. That's not reality. And you're not going to get any work done. They want the perfect people to work with, and they want the perfect temperature in the office, and they want this perfect over here, and this perfect, listen, they won't start a project if it's not perfect, and they won't end a project or finish it if it's not perfect. Get to work. That's why it's called work. Your situation and your place of work doesn't have to be perfect. Get busy and get to work. It's called work, by the way. It's called work. So stop requiring perfect conditions. Here's the next one. Stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. Get to work. There's always an excuse not to work. There's always an excuse not to exercise. There's always an excuse not to do your homework. Get to work. There's always an excuse not to jump off a cliff into water. Uh, Yeah, there could be sharks. (laughs) Yeah. But, but that's why you jump with a sphere in hand and you go for it, people. Thank you again, Pastor Bill Maroney. <laughs> stop requiring perfect conditions, stop making excuses. Here's another great application stop overanalyzing everything and get to work. He's watching the wind. Is it going to be too windy? What should I do? He's watching the clouds. Is it going to rain? Is it not going to rain? Some people suffer from what they call paralysis of analysis. They're paralyzed. So they don't do anything because they're constantly calculating and constantly think. They're the engineering type. Everything's got to line up just perfectly before I do anything. And we can't do. And they're frozen. They hesitate on everything. Those who constantly second-guess will not succeed. Because one of those days becomes none of those days. Don't be one of those people. One of those days, yeah, that becomes none of those days. Stop overanalyzing. Stop overanalyzing. Do something. And do it well. Stop being overly cautious. It's the next one. Stop being overly cautious. Get to work. According to this passage. The overly cautious person. Is a fool. The overly cautious person. Is a fool. There's no return. Where there's no labor. The overly cautious person. Is destined to fail. They're destined to lose. It's like. It's like a baseball player, he gets his bat, he stands in the batter's box, and he just won't swing the bat. you got to swing the bat! If you have a chance of getting on base, if you have a chance of winning, you got to swing the bat, but I might miss and I might strike out, but if you don't swing it, you automatically lose. And some of you are automatically losing in your business, and automatically losing in relationships, and automatically losing in life, because you are scared to death. And you're overly cautious. And you got to swing the bat. Because if you don't, you're guaranteed to lose. You've you got to take the shot. Like that. you got to take the shot. That's called a jump shot. By the way, that was all net. I'm just telling you right now. Okay? All right. How do you make work work? For the love of labor, find a partner, take a risk, diversify, relax, stop watching, start working. Trust the sovereignty of God. Say that with me. Trust the sovereignty of God. Not your own smarts. Trust the sovereignty of God. Look at verse 5. Just as you do not know the path of the wind, how bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. I want you to notice this phrase. You do not know! You do not know! You do not know, you do not know. Four times in three verses, Solomon is telling us something very, very important. We're ignorant. We don't know. Verse 2, you don't know what misfortune may occur. Verse 5, you do not know the path of the wind. Verse 5 again, you do not know the activity of God. Verse 6, you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed. You do not know, you do not know, you do not know, you do not know. So trust the sovereignty of God. We are ignorant about a lot of things and it's good because it keeps us humble and it keeps us dependent on God and trusting in his sovereignty. And he says, you don't know the path of the wind. We just know it swirls about. Earlier in Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse six, he talks about blowing toward the south and turning toward the north. The wind continues swirling along circular courses. The wind returns. It's all over the place. You don't know the path of the wind and where it's going next. You don't know, he says next, how bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman. Marvel at that. I think about this baby that is born with bones when it didn't start that way. It starts with soft tissue and it comes out with rock hard bones under skin. That's what you are. You have a skeletal system that was formed in the womb of your mother and continued to grow and form. What is that about? It's a miracle of God is what it is. And then he says this. You don't know the path of the wind. You don't know the bones of a baby. You don't know the activity of God. That's what he says next. You can't predict what God is going to do. You can't predict what God will allow or why he allows it. We don't know. You do not know the activity of God who makes all things. But this is what we do know. We know he makes all things. We know our God is all-powerful. We know our God is all-knowing. We know our God is sovereign over everything. We know that we can trust our God. He is faithful. So do your work. and Let God take care of the outcome. Don't, don't let not knowing cause you to despair. Let it encourage you to diligence. Which brings us to our next point. For the love of labor Be diligent. How long? How often? All day. Look at verse 6. Sow your seed in the morning. Do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed, whether both of them alike will be good. Work hard. Work hard. Trust the sovereignty of God. Work hard in the morning, work hard throughout the day, work hard at night. Don't be lazy. Don't be idle. God blesses hard work. And there's an important lesson here. This farmer wasn't sure which would be most effective. Should I work hard in the morning and sow then? Will that be better because of the weather? Or should I work hard at night and sow the seed in, in the field then? When is the optimum time to work hard and do this? And you know what God says? Yes, at all times, I want you working hard. I want you working hard in the morning. I want you working hard throughout the day. I want you working hard at night. And, and don't assume one of these will work and the other won't. Well, if I, if I sew in the morning, it'll work, but night, at night it won't. No, he's saying both might work out just fine. Just get busy. Just be diligent. Just work hard. Because the results are ultimately with God, not you. The results are not left up to my wisdom, my smarts. I'm required to work hard. And God will honor that. So be diligent. Because God is the one who blesses the harvest. So be diligent. And trust the sovereignty of God. Because the return is in the hand of God. So for the love of labor, make work work. how do we do that? Say it with me. Find a partner. Take a risk. Diversify. Relax. Stop watching and start working. Trust the sovereignty of God and be diligent all day. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.